I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy post-NFL Draft Week. Happy day after two more episodes of the Jordan documentary, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, speaking of, did you end up, did you watch episode three and four yet? I did. I watched uh, this morning. Um, so the first two were probably a little more entertaining, although obviously Rodman stuff's always pretty good, although a lot of that was in the Rodman 30 for 30, if you have watched that, so... Um, still really, really good, uh, and love to have it every Sunday, obviously. It's nice, uh, nice to have some sports-related content, and, and both this and the draft, uh, we're good for that this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about the Jordan thing for a couple minutes, and then we could jump into the draft. Um, I thought that, I thought that, I, I hope there's more about Phil and, like, how he got to where he was, because, like, Phil is such an interesting character, just in general. Like, obviously, I have mixed feelings, because... As a Knicks fan, you're thankful for what was back in the 70s. You're a little bit annoyed about what was um, in the last five to seven years. I think I think there's a lot more to explore with Phil, and I think we're seeing like some of that kind of peppered in throughout. Um, I thought the Robin stuff was interesting, if not necessarily like unique. I felt like they definitely could have leaned a lot more heavily into the Vegas trip if they wanted to. I feel like there's more to explore with the dynamic between him and uh, and Jordan. And, and him and Pippen in particular. Um, I don't know how much, if at all, we really see of that, though. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I thought the stuff, that, um, the whole, like, transition from Dud Collins, who obviously Jordan loved, and then into into uh, Phil, who he didn't immediately get along with as much, and there was some clash in terms of style and in terms of uh, Jordan not having as, like, 
you know, the same exact, you know, shoot as much as you want role in the offense. I think they probably could have done a little bit more on that and the, the, the transition between the two, but um, obviously there's still six more episodes. So I, you know, I think we'll get at least pepperings of that, uh, even if it's not like a focus. Um, but no, it's been, you know, incredibly entertaining. I think that each hour goes by so quickly. Um, you almost feel like, I mean, I guess they're like 45 minutes or whatever with commercials, but it does, it doesn't feel like we've already had four hours just because of how entertaining and well put together they are. Yeah. It's well paced. And like, you know, I know a lot of the comparisons will go to like the OJ one and I felt like that was paced well, but it would also like really went in depth into each part it's talking about because this one keeps flying back and forth time-wise. I just feel like the pacing is a little bit, is, is very quick. Obviously basketball provides its own um, kind of pace to the action um, clearly, I, I think for me, what, what I found like really great was that they did go into a lot of the the Bad Boys era Pistons, and like while I knew some of that stuff, I didn't necessarily, I, I never spent too much time dwelling as a basketball fan on on what the Bad Boys era Pistons prevented the Bulls from being able to do, um, and really like getting in depth on those series and the personalities. Um, and, and what those teams really, you know, how they focused on Jordan and, and, and really like the the mental toll that played on the Bulls' psyches overall and Jordan's in particular. It was just like it was entertaining hearing, you know, those conversations around, around you know, Jordan not being good enough and Jordan not being able to get over the hump because now you look at Michael Jordan and, and you know, champion is one of the first few words you associate with him. So I, I found that – I found the first episode in particular – um, incredibly informative and in depth. And like, I know like my wife who, you know, knew uh, obviously like understands Michael Jordan's career and all that, but didn't necessarily like, hasn't spent the time with basketball books and footage and all this stuff. And, you know, she's enjoyed it. And, and she really like got a kick out of that first episode in particular that provided that context and kind of set that tone for the mountain that the bulls had to climb over. Yeah. I mean, we're both way too young to like, remember a championship, a championship list Jordan. I think, the 98 finals in the jazz is actually like one of my first basketball memories. I, I vividly remember watching that series as a seven year old, I guess at the time. Um, so like it was very, I obviously knew that he had this whole portion of his career, a pretty long portion of his career before he won a title, but it's funny to compare and, and not to make this like a, a Jordan LeBron thing, but it's hard not to uh, given like just the timing of everything, but it's kind of funny to compare um, the reaction that Jordan uh, gets now versus how LeBron was treated until he won that first title, where I think time frame wise it's pretty similar in terms of like the years before they both won. Um, but people almost lean over the fact that Jordan had this reputation as like, oh, he'll go store 39 a game, which is insane. Um, but like, isn't the guy to get a team to a championship? And, uh, you know, he wins sits and obviously he's way above reproach now. But people, it's almost like people didn't bring that up very much in like, comparing uh, the struggles that LeBron had in his first Cleveland stint until he, you know, finally won his second year with the Heat. Oh yeah. I mean, I I think people have completely written out, you know, the first few years of Jordan's career, like from their memories, Um, you know, like the injury stuff. I remember like from the first couple episodes, the injury stuff was something I'd completely forgotten. Yeah. Um, I didn't know very much about that either. Yeah. Like, I know, like, like you said, I mean, it predates, you know, our time being alive, but yeah, like it was just not something like has really been dwelled on. I think part of it is um, is the myth making around Jordan. And like, while I know some people have talked about how like this is kind of Jordan playing title defense in in in, in many ways, um, I think at the same time, like because it's willing to show some of the cracks and show how we got here, um, I, I think it's 
I think it's done an interesting job of myth making without like w- without glossing over what it took to get to get there. And I think if anything, what we've seen to date on Jordan has very much glossed over what it took to get to where he ended up. Yeah, I think he's been surprisingly vulnerable for you know Jordan's rep. Um, and I also really appreciate, and this is more from the first two episodes, which we didn't talk about last week because I hadn't seen them yet. Um, I really appreciated uh, the stuff on Pippen and his, his basically his holdout. And like, I knew that stuff, but it didn't, you know, think about that happening today. Think about like if Anthony Davis started next year and just like, nah, I'm not going to play until January. And he like was healthy by November. Like people will be losing their minds. And like, I don't know, it's really very fascinating. There's a lot of like, and even the Rodman going to Vegas stuff. I saw people joking that he would like did the first like uh, the first um, uh, load management. Like a lot of the things that people get really mad about now, like were happening in earlier NBA. The people that the vaunted you know '90s and '80s old days. It's just that they didn't have like this branding or the constant uh, news cycle and discussion cycle to like have people get really worked up about. But, like Rodman just bounced for two days and to Vegas, and uh, you know, I assume people weren't like losing their minds the same level as like when, when a player just sits out a couple of games uh, for no reason. Yeah. It is wild. Like the different, uh, you know, filters applied. And like I said, I was talking to my wife about it and we were watching and like, just the way, like every, like, like you said, everything that happened happens now happened then by and large, save like the social media aspect of it, but it's social media and the 24 hour news cycle that just create this you know insanity about that anything any player does and especially someone like lebron or someone like you know Dwayne wade in his heyday or like carmelo to a certain extent like the things the players do or like i mean even for us like you know covering college sports like you know somebody somebody likes a comment you know on instagram and suddenly it creates an entire news cycle around well why did he like it like that would have happened then too, if social media was around, it just wasn't, there wasn't a 24 hour news cycle to prop it up. So yeah, I, I don't think necessarily that the league and its personalities are, are as different um, now as, as maybe some may claim. Yeah. And it's like, it's not radically different and it's, you know, we obviously feed into it. We're both working in, in sports media um, and write about plenty of this stuff, but like, there's obviously an appetite for it. Um, but even, but even then, like uh, before this aired, I was watching, the, I was rewatching the Celtics Lakers documentary, the 30 for 30 series uh, with uh, a couple of my Celtics fan friends down here who hadn't, hadn't seen it. We were looking for something to watch. And like the whole Isaiah Thomas, um, Larry Bird uh, only like gets a credit because he's white thing. Like imagine if that happened today. That was like, and that obviously had a big time, but they had Isaiah Thomas at a press conference in a game he wasn't playing in during the finals. Like that's insanity. And that happened. And it's like kind of brushed over now. That would be like a two month. They would talk about that on first take every day for like two months if that happened now. Oh, could you imagine the Fox <laughs> News segments? Oh, my. It would be outrageous. <laughs> Thank well, God. I mean, well, I, I, yeah, no one will imagine that. <laughs> Christ. Um, <laughs> so I guess moving off of that into the other thing uh, sports wise that happened this weekend, um, the NFL draft occurred. It was virtual. Uh, there weren't nearly as many technical glitches as I was hoping for. Um, my team did exactly the sort of level of dumb things that I expected. Um, your team did a questionable thing. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> questionable. I don't know if that disturbs the Packers draft. <laughs> <laughs> they did something. Your, your team had a nice little draft. I would pay for the Giants draft right now. Well, the first round was odd, but other than that, I, yeah, I, I think the Packers did some weird shit. Um, <laughs> Not not the type of things that I would have necessarily done. Um, definitely not what Dan would have necessarily done either. 
Um, but focusing more on the Syracuse aspects of things, we had two Syracuse players picked. That was the first time that's happened since 2014. Uh, Alton Robinson was picked in the fifth round. Uh, Sterling Hoffrichter uh, was picked in the seventh round. Uh, Robinson goes to a Seattle Seahawks team that seemingly could plug him in right away. Uh, what I wanted to talk about, though, is kind of you know the effect, Dan, of what happens when you don't have uh, pro days and these extensive interviews um, and seemingly like a weak amount of research done on ESPN's part um, around the issue uh, Alton Robinson had before he ended up you know, not heading to Oklahoma State. Uh, no, sorry, not Oklahoma State. Uh, Texas uh, A&M, A&M, excuse me. Yeah, it was A&M. Like, they, they, the legal issue that, you know, SU vetted and everything else, like, it seemed like he was either cleared or, or everything kind of, like, you know, went away. Like, and, and ESPN seemed like they were ready to kind of hold this over. And, and it seemed like other scouts, it seemed like scouts were too, at least. And it was one of the reasons why he fell to to the fifth round. I mean, that's part of the problem, um, I almost don't blame the NFL teams for it because obviously they can interview him. I feel like NFL teams probably weigh like an in-person interview and really getting like a sense of someone in the room a lot more than they are a Zoom meeting. So obviously I'm sure he talked to teams and he talked to teams at the combine, whatever else. But I think that probably hurt him. Um, I think ESPN, like it's definitely hard because they're, they're trying to do sound bits on, every, on 255 players. That's not easy. Um, the, the timeline they laid out in their little Alton Robinson section Hey, only really talked about that, um, which compared to, I mean, it was that or, you know, every person who had a dead family member had like 15, you know, the entire, that was like the entire thing they talked about with every player, which um, I think, again, it's part of the story and it humanizes people to an extent, but it, it kind of became a lot, especially in like the, the Friday, it just seemed like every bit. Um, but for Robinson, uh, for those of you listening, probably more aware of this, um, ESPN kind of didn't put in the whole part of like Robinson was an editor to A&M didn't get to know because he made, you know, very, he made mistakes. Like he, he, you know, had suffer, had a, a punishment for it. And then went to Juco played there, did everything he needed to do. Um, apparently was an upsetting citizen there. And then after a full year, then came to SU. So it wasn't like SU just like targeted a guy who couldn't get into the SEC school and then brought him in immediately, which is what it made it seem like on the ESPN broadcast. So um, he was well vetted. Uh, he, you know, seemed like for the most part was, was, was a, a good citizen here at SU. Everyone raves about him from the team. So I'm happy for him. The Seahawks, is, I think, is a really nice landing spot for him where he's both on a good team, but um, they're likely going to lose uh, Jadavian Clowney to free agency. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to resign there. Um, so there could be playing time at the defensive end or the edge rusher position. Um, obviously, there's a, you know, it's hard to just step in as a fifth round pick and start, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was at least factoring in on the rotations a little bit. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it definitely seems like right spot for him. They traded up, so, uh, you know, a bit of a value add for them in the fifth round. I really thought he was going to go by the end of the fourth. I, I think, you know, like you said, some of the timeline stuff with ESPN, I'm sure they weren't the only ones that kind of had that timeline um, at least a little off. Um, in any case, glad he was picked. Glad he ended up somewhere. Um, Sterling Hoffrichter also ended up somewhere. He's the second uh, punter in five years for Syracuse to get drafted. Um, we say that, like, you know, because it's on brand for us and it's a joke, but at the same time, like, it's not really a joke. SU's now had two punters drafted in the last, like, five years. That's not easy to do. Um, punters don't get drafted that often. Um, the fact that, like, again, two uh, were picked. The fact that, you know, Riley Dixon's still in the league. I think Hoff heading to Atlanta. Atlanta did need a punter. So I think for them and having an indoor stadium um, should play to Hoffrichter's benefit. Um, 
I'm pretty excited for him. Uh, I, I think that, you know, having a, a great punter is, is a plus. It's not like the end all be all, but I think for SU having a great punter and being able to sell getting drafted um, is only going to help us out in the long run. Having great special teams is only going to help us out in the long run. Um, so I'm really happy for Hoffert there. And, and we'll, we'll get into the undrafted free agent signings. But uh, for me, like, yeah, I think the most rewarding part, at least uh, of the draft was, was having Hoffert there picked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy to joke about in your punter pick, as you said, um, but he deserved it. I mean, he was just such a good player uh, for the entire time he was here and almost like, you know, it was, would have been easy to get a little overshadowed um, based on all of our, you know, Riley Ditson, like, sir, early 2000 Chuck Norris type jokes. Um, but Hoffrichter was, I'm, you know, in, in in many ways, was even better than Ditson in certain categories. Probably had a stronger leg. Um, and it's awesome to have two of them uh, hopefully having long careers here. Um, Atlanta has Ryan uh, Allen, a former Patriots punter, who uh, had an okay year for them last year, but only averaged about 42 yards a kick. So, um, hopefully Hoff Richter, uh, has and had a 10% touchback percentage, which is the second worst of his career. So, uh, Hoff, if anything, like is pretty accurate, uh, has a very, very strong leg, uh, can kick field goals in a pinch as we saw. Um, yeah, I think he, you know, has a very good chance of winning that job, uh, and hopefully sticking there for a while and it's another controlled environment. So he should be very comfortable there. Agreed. Um, so just getting into some of the undrafted free agent guys, um, who ended up signing, uh, Tristan Jackson ended up heading to uh, Rams, which I think could be an interesting fit for him. Um, it was Kendall Coleman ended up going to the Colts, which shouldn't surprise based on his work with Robert Mathis, the fact that he's from Indianapolis. Um, so Evan Adams ended up going to um, – was it Evan Adams? Yeah, it was Evan Adams. Ended up going to the Ravens, uh, which, again, something that could be interesting. Obviously, he's blocked in front of a mobile uh, QB before in the form of Eric Dungy. Um, and then Sean Riley went to New England. I'm skeptical about how that works because I don't think, like, obviously, like, you can't just play special teams. Like, he's going to have to contribute as wide receiver, and we definitely didn't see a ton um, from him in the, on the wide receiver front um, as a senior. At the same time, if he's able to, you know, rediscover his pass-catching um, expertise and, and, and he's able to show some things on special teams, maybe there's something for him um, in New England. Yeah, I think Jackson and Coleman probably get into the best situations. Um, the Rams needed wide receiver help after losing Brandon Cooks, and they've had some injury issues elsewhere. So they're they're pretty depleted overall, just because of the salary how the salary cap uh, situation hit them after their um, going for Brook for the Super Bowl. Um, so I think he probably has the best chance of landing. Uh, and then Coleman, uh, hometown kid, uh, obviously very familiar with people with the franchise, we, we, we've talked about him working with Robert Mathis and there's been a lot of documentation there. Um, they have Zaire Franklin. The Colts are always a, a pro Syracuse franchise, even through multiple, uh, multiple front offices, which is cool. Um, so I think he'll, you know, those two probably have the best chance of sticking. Riley's interesting. The Patriots um, definitely need receivers. Uh, they were very, very rough there last year, probably played at least some part in Tom Brady leaving. Um, and that team uh, kind of looks like it's going to be, I don't expect them to do like a full rebuild, but it seems like they're in that realm. Um, I don't believe Jared Siddham is going to be, uh, you know, plug and play playoff quarterback. Uh, Adams is probably the toughest situation to foresee just because the Ravens are always so well stocked and like so rarely, rarely have holes. Um, and offensive line, obviously, they're very, very strong there. Um, I do appreciate you uh, 
we we are we want to make this known. We are comparing Derek Dungey to Lamar Jackson. They're similar players, and if uh, Dungey was on the Ravens, he'd be an MVP. <laughs> I mean, these uh, are just facts. Indisputable. <laughs> in, in, um, so I think that's probably the toughest situation to break through. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, you know, but at the same time, hopefully, like if the guys, if some of these guys don't make teams, maybe just getting some training camp invites gets them on other teams' radars. Maybe they show some needs. I mean, if there is a preseason in any case, um, perhaps these guys are able to show something. Um, we shall see, though. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about beer, Dan, before we get into um, some other draft conversations and some uniform conversations? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Cool. Um, I was mostly drinking the same stuff I was drinking last week because we had a lot of it. Um, I didn't think I mentioned main lunch last week, which is the other main beer we had, along with uh, the three others. Um, also had a couple new things. Um, we bought a Deuce Island variety pack, so I had some uh, IPA, which you know I don't need to bring up since I have that all the time. But also the uh, their Dank Detector IPA, which is pretty solid. And then I also had a Voodoo Ranger IPA from New Belgium, so not super local, but uh, have been drinking pretty much a solid mix of all the stuff I've been bringing up the last couple of weeks. Um, we're still working through those main beers, which is nice. Uh, so not quite out yet. Very nice. Um, on my end, I got some more Timbo pills from Highland Park. Um, I will stand by the fact I think that is one of the best, like in the last couple of years, new beers on the market. Um, unfortunately, they don't really get very far besides LA. Um, I had some Celador Ales, uh, Lecon. It's a apricot sour that was really, really good. Um, also from Celador, I had a family. It was a uh, kind of tart saison. Only 3.8%, so really enjoyable beer there. Um, that was it for me. Nothing, not a ton of variety. Um, just kind of drinking what gets shipped my way. Very nice. Indeed. Um, so, Dan, I mentioned we were going to talk a little bit more about the draft still. Um, instead of talking 2020 draft, however, I thought we'd talk maybe a little bit about the 2021 draft. Um I wrote an article on Monday, just kind of talking about some guys that could get picked. Most of these are seniors, but I did mention a couple underclassmen, um, starting with Andre Sisco. Uh, I think you and I are both in agreement that he's a potential first round pick this coming year, um, assuming he puts in, I think, the same sort of performance we've seen for him for those first couple seasons at Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, we're already we're already starting to see it from like mock drafts now. So he's on the radar, squarely. Um, it's not going to be a fight for him to get people's attention. It's- a fight just to like maintain production which is gonna be hard uh at least um i guess his advantages as a safety like quarterbacks aren't really throwing at him he's ball hawking so he can kind of just keep on doing what he's doing it's not like a cornerback where he just kind of gets uh ignored or shutting down the side of the field um so i I expect to see if he's healthy i mean he was really good when he wasn't when he when he was playing through injury last year so um if he just has another statistical season as he's like he did last year maybe take a couple steps up in like the tackling department um, and shore up some of that stuff. Like he's a pretty, you know, a, a pretty solid, at least like top three round guy, even if there's like a little bit of regression, but first round is definitely in play. Like that, that's the combination of size and speed and, and ability to find the ball is just very rare. 
Yeah, and I mean, he just keeps getting bigger too. And, and I mean, we saw we joked like months ago where he was basically doing the Killmonger workout um, in the off season. Dude looks even bigger than he did last year. Um, he's become a real hard hitting safety too, which I think is not something that was like in the repertoire at the very beginning. Um, if he can hit as hard as he has been um, and ball hawk the way we've seen, I, 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 I'd be hard pressed to find a reason why he, he wouldn't be a first round pick, but maybe that's just me um, showing at least a little bit of homerism. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the only, the question is like free safeties aren't like a huge, um, you know, those aren't guys you see doing the first round all the time. So it's a chance just the market isn't there, but if you would not, I mean, he told interceptions through two years, if he has another, you know, six interception year next year, like you're, he's going to get drafted early, even if it's on the first round, like second round cinch, I would say, um, if he just continues to develop a little bit, which there's no reason why he shouldn't. So I'm very excited for him. It'll be nice. He'll be our first, if he goes in the first round, he'll be our first since, was it Pew or Chandler first? I think it was Pew most recently. Yeah, Pew would be the most recent guy for us. That is future NFL Hall of Famer Chandler Jones, by the way. That's what yeah. should always say. Well, I mean, it's pretty much indisputable at this point. I mean, uh, like, uh, most maybe most underrated defensive player in the NFL, Chandler Jones. Yeah, which is insane. I think, and you'll probably see more of that, to be honest, because as long as he stays in Arizona, I feel like he's going to kind of toil in anonymity, not because he's bad, but because like Arizona just can't necessarily compete with three like pretty well-run franchises. I actually like what Arizona's building, um, but it's just that division's just brutal. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's just I mean, Seattle, San Francisco, and, and the Rams are just three very well-run franchises, and I I, I I'd be surprised if Arizona can figure it out um, well enough to like break through, but such is the issue with, with divisional structures and all that as a uh, Syracuse fans are well aware of. Uh, Correct. <laughs> uh, some other players for next year that's worth, that are worth like keeping an eye on uh, McKinley Williams. I don't think he's done enough yet to warrant, um, you know, getting drafted, but I think if he can put in a full season, avoid injury um, and really continue to be a run stopper, despite not having like, that elite level, you know, pass rushers out wide to like help him. Um, I think that could, he could be a name that could rise. Aaron Hackett is a guy who I actually think like could get a ton of consideration. Um, if SU uses him a little bit more in the offense this year, I think he's a great blocker. He's a good route runner. Um, and he, he showed himself to be a great red zone threat. Um, so he's somebody interesting to me. Um, uh, Ifeetha is another guy, um, who like hat will have eligibility left. Um, after 2020, but I think he's a really, really good cover guy. Um, and, and if he's someone who can put in an even better season than what we saw last year, um, you know, considering injuries a little bit, um, he's someone who could potentially go. Uh, Kingsley Jonathan, uh, just the system caters to him putting up big numbers, and he already put up some decent numbers, really, just despite not being a starter um, in recent years. So he's somebody I'd look out for. And then Abdul Adams, I think, is more of a stretch. Um, but a guy that, you know, if he can, if he can amass something close to, or around a thousand yards, um, I think he's got the size and, and, and speed combo that, that, that could be appealing to teams, but, you know, really does depend on production this year. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a situation where like Cisco is going to be so heavily on the radar and he's, I would say he's probably going to leave after this season, unless something goes awry. Um, well, that's going to be really good for the rest of the defense, defensive players, especially a guy's like uh, Melifon Wu, um, other defensive backs, because the coaches are going to be looking at those tapes just to see Sisto. And you hear about um, both in recruiting and in NFL draft prep, like if you're uh, if you're catching the eye of scouting department, if you're 
you have a teammate who's in the ISDAD department. It's like you have a very big opportunity there when you know they're looking. Um, and then I would say there's it's pretty a long shot for the rest of these guys besides Cisco. I think Williams is probably uh, the next most likely, um, if only because there's always going to be a lot of value in interior linemen, especially ones who can get after the passer a bit, which he can. Um, and I think if he can just get himself to the combine, he'll be in actually pretty good shape because he's so impressive, so athletic. He'll test really well. Um, he's like really kind of a freak for his size. Uh, and if he stays healthy, um, I do think he should put up some pretty impressive numbers from the interior defensive line that you don't usually see. So, um, I think he definitely has the most potential outside of here. Um, and then I saw in the comments, I think the, the wild card, wild card, which it seems obvious, but you know, it wasn't in the article is Tommy DeVito. <laughs> uh, if he actually explodes and has like a, you know, 4,500, 5,000 yard season, then you can start probably putting him in some projections, although I assume he'll be back to try to really build on even, even a really good season. So um, beyond that, like uh, you, you never really know. It just takes one year to, to really propel someone as we saw with Joe Burrow this past season. So um, at least the defensive players know that the stats will be watching because Cisco is going to be so vaunted. Yeah. I mean, DeVito is an interesting one because like we said this last year too, like DeVito has potential because yeah, if he has a really good season, I think with him, like, I think mean, there's a few things that are really going to have to get corrected um, for him to, it's, it can't just be a numbers game, but it's, it, it's numbers plus, you know, not staring down receivers. It's going through his progressions, things like that, like that he'll have to do on top of putting up a big season. Um, Taj Harris is a guy who could potentially follow along with that. Um, you know, if DeVito has that kind of resurgent campaign, um, a couple other guys just on the comments mentioned uh, Tyrell Richards, um, real freak athlete, but somebody who hasn't really seen the field enough and, and, and produced enough to warrant consideration just yet. And he'd have eligibility left after 2020. Um, Trill Williams is another one um, who we really haven't seen, you know, producing on a regular basis, but a guy who, again, could um, with, with, with a, a big season and a season where he's going to figure in um, as a larger part of this defense. Um, like you said, if people are noticing Cisco's tape, um, maybe he starts standing out a little bit. Yeah, I think Trill's a good one because he uh, he's probably the probably the second most talented. I guess you could argue between him and Milifonmu, but um, I think both of them stand to really uh, really take advantage. Um, obviously, uh, just, uh, Trill could be back, and hopefully he will be for his senior year. But um, if he has the season that we saw him, he's definitely capable. If he's had really good moments, if he puts together uh, a consistent year, like cornerbacks are so valuable, and they go pretty frequently in the draft. Um, there, there's definitely a lot of room for him. So, um, you know, it's a good problem to have. You want to be a program that is consistently putting guys in the NFL. That It helps so much in recruiting. Uh, and just even getting up to two guys this year was big. So uh, definitely something we want to build on. You can't really worry yourself about it. It's a good problem. Yeah, agreed. And hopefully, too, is just kind of the start of it. Um, I know a lot of people are expressing some concern there. Uh, last today, I just want to talk about uniforms a bit. Um, it's, uh, it's Jersey week, uh, at SB nation. I, uh, I would prefer uniforms because I think that's the more accurate, um, term because you're not just looking at a Jersey, uh, how it's worn, but the helmet and pants and everything else. So uniforms is probably what the nomenclature I would use. Um, Dan, Andy did a, uh, d- did a decent job on this, uh, you know, uniform rankings from 1990 and beyond. I think really SU's uniforms didn't change all that much. Um, before 1990, there were subtle tweaks here and there. But for the most part, you were looking at um, an orange helmet, um, you know, 
white and blue, sometimes orange uniforms, um, and then, you know, white or orange pants. Um, so looking at Andy's thing here, the one thing I will say, I actually really liked our 08 to 09 uniforms. I know the teams were reprehensible um, by and large. The last year, Gerg, plus uh, the first year, Doug Marone. But I really did like, you know, the white numbers. I love the orange and white um, stripe that, that's kind of incorporated itself into the new uniforms now. Um, I actually thought, again, despite the teams looking terrible on the field, I thought that, that the uniforms are actually pretty good. Um, they'd be like kind of a sleeper for me. Um, and then I think, to be honest, like the, the maroon uniforms, I think are vastly underrated. Um, and, and maybe uniforms that I think could really challenge um, the, uh, you know, kind of drop shadow um, heyday that, uh, that most people kind of allude to as like the uniform they'd want us to, to, to adopt now. Yeah, I think part of it is is definitely um, reflective of like when you were when your fandom was like most active uh, is part of the best way to phrase. It. Obviously, we were all fans like the whole time, but you know our fandoms were probably cemented while we were there. So those are the jerseys we both associate with, and like um, for you, it was mostly those uh, G Rob eras, which aren't terrible. Uh, the 08 to like twenty tens or whatever. Um, I do prefer the later Maroon ones, uh, which Andy had fourth. I think those are really just clean, um, still similar. I could, you know, there are some things that I think work better in the newer ones, but also like you can't really go wrong with that look. Um, I actually like Andy's rankings a lot. Um, I think the the earlier GERDs are clearly the worst, uh, especially the all they're orange. They're miserable. Not, they're so bad. Um, it's just very, very. But ugly. it's amazing um, that they're basically the same uniforms, just with a white stripe. Makes all the like difference. Later. Yeah, maybe it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I also think Andy goes way too hard on the uh, on the current jerseys. Um, I uh, I think they've well, already the, kind of aged a little. He has the current one second, doesn't he? Yes, the current ones are second. Andy, I, I'm, I'm calling you out here. I think that the current jerseys are, um, are already dated, and, and, and that, that's a bad sign. I think they're very combo based. I think there are some, I think the, the classic combo of the current jerseys actually look really good. Um, not all of them do <laughs> is, is what I'll say. I just think that the, we were skeptical immediately about like the, you know, like orange across the front and like all the NFL teams that had that element are already like getting rid of it. Yeah. Although not all those jerseys are very good. Like, I don't know that Nike, I'm not sure that we're, we're, uh, we're missing out with Nike's current design uh, status, considering like the Falcons and the Patriots jerseys. Oof. I mean, Nike. Although, it took some time. Look like the Patriots jerseys. They do. I, I like. It took some time, but like Nike really is like systematically destroying everything <laughs> in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, it's weird. Cause, um, like, Adidas has like some miserable jerseys too, but at least like occasionally they're not bad. So I don't know. I think you got to stay with Nike. I think it's just like the the panache is there, but. You would really hope that like someone would just come in and just redesign the, the drop shadow ones. Like, just give us the the modern looking version of the drop shadow uniforms, and everyone would be very very happy because they were happy when the maroon when the twenty twelves were unveiled. I forget the first year we wore those, but that era, the second pinstripe ball era of uniforms, like people were very happy with those because they're reminiscent of the older jerseys, but like look modern. If you can just do that for the uh, McNabb for the basically the Pastelloni uniforms, I think people will be thrilled. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's really what everyone's been asking for, to be honest, is combo. Yeah, the Maroon years with the Maroon years, like you said, were the closest, um, you know, to the past Colonial years. I think, yeah, if you can find meet in the middle on the two of those and like find some way to create some modern elements. I, I, we've talked about this, like 
you know, at this point, you and I aren't the market either, like for these uniforms, like the market is, um, you know, prospective Syracuse football players and prospective Syracuse football players are never going to align with what a 35 to like 55 year old, um, you know, mostly white male is going to want to wear or buy or, or see on the field. That's fair. And that's why I never get super, uh, you know, upset about them because every time they unveil new ones, it seems like the recruits like them. So that's by far the most important thing because if they, if, uh, if they start wearing like whatever the worst combination of our current uniforms are, and we go nine and three in them, we're going to love those uniforms. (laughs) We're going to really enjoy them. Yeah. I mean, as long as we're not wearing platinum, it's fine with me. If we, if we had won the like, USC game, whatever else, in the bottom <laughs> uniforms, they would still be around. Although, you know, we won the... Notre Dame game? No, although we won the uh, the Virginia Tech game in them. Were we playing platinum for that game? We were in platinum for that game, and, and, those, and, and they're still dead and buried. That's true. If we had won that at the Notre Dame game, which we were definitely wearing them for because it was super wet at MetLife Stadium, and there was, like, the colors were bleeding through, so they looked doubly awful, and, like, the back sweat patch or whatever was, like... They're like different color gray from the rest. Um, I think we probably would have kept them around. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I guess before we go too, do you want to talk so basketball? That's to say that I'm glad we lost that game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, admittedly, I, I'm kind of fine with it too. Um, basketball, I think, is a little harder to like na- nail down just because we've had so many different uniform combos. But I feel like recently those have like been limited. Um, obviously we've had some semblance of the current uniforms since 07. Um, they just kind of messed around with them here and there. Yeah. They just shift slightly. Yeah. Like they and add a stripe. We got a one-off. Yeah. They had a stripe or they just make it cues for most of a season, um, on the front. Um, I'm glad that we don't have the gray elements as much anymore. Yeah. Like I, I, I actually, at first I kind of hate, like, it's weird. I, I kind of hated these at the beginning. Um, cause I didn't mind like the kind of jagged SU, uh, era as much as some other people might've hated it, but even that era was only around for a couple of years. So they transitioned to this. I felt like, and a lot of other people did too, at the time that this was too like boxy and it was too reminiscent of just like every other, um, you know, Nike, uh, like template at the time where everybody went kind of, you know, very, uh, block letters. There wasn't a lot to it. Um, at the time I felt like blue was completely eliminated um, still feel that way to an extent. Um, since then, I feel like because we made a couple of final four runs, because the, there've been some memorable teams in there, I think I've actually kind of warmed to the look. Um, but I could go for something different. And since we have something different in our past, um, particularly script, which we saw some of the season, um, I wouldn't mind us just going back to that. I think that the O3 jerseys, um, and really even like some of the stuff we wore in the nineties, like I just feel like have a little more character in Syracuse. I know growing up and even while like I was there, I always wondered like SDU is weird. Like there's goofiness to it. The bubble letters like that we used to have, like that was all very Syracuse. Like there, there, there's just an entertaining quality to it um, where it's not old timey as much as it's just, you know, off a bit. Like we're never going to be it's, a blue it's blood. 90s. Yeah, it's nineties, but we're never going to be a blue blood. We're never going to be, you know, your, your Kansas, your Duke, but we have an opportunity to, to inhabit this other space. Um, and, and our jerseys, I feel like, used to reflect that, and they don't necessarily anymore. Yeah, I agree. I think the script are the best. Like, I think those just looked so good. And I, obviously, I didn't watch the team when they were wearing those. So this is pretty um, not like, it's not like I grew up with that uniform. So um, 
I would love to see the alternatives, the alternates broken out uh, more often. And I think hopefully we will. Um, I'm sure the players like them. I'm sure Bayheim likes them. That's, it seems like Bayheim actually has a, like an undue influence over what they wear, um, which is funny. Main influence. Uh, and like, yeah, I feel like someone cons him into them wearing blue every like 10 years. They lose. They always lose. Yeah, they always lose. And then, and then they get wished back out into the cornfield. Um, but but yeah, same Jim. with the one-off platinums. Although we won that game, the USF game, we won the were those cool. horrendous. <laughs> yeah, I, feel, I feel like Jim just like doesn't like variety. No, so he maybe that's why we it. haven't had these big like redesigns. Like it, maybe Jim just like settled in. But we did have a bunch when you think about it. Like for like it really from like the late '90s through like '07, we had a ton of uniform combos. I just mean like maybe that's why our we've basically we had like had. the same general structure since like the Johnny Flynn teams. Yeah. He just doesn't want any part of, of new stuff, but like, but the script, like I love the new script and I got, um, I mean, I guess it's really the script uniforms that they wore this year. Um, I do have the mellow one um, of the, uh, of the, of the like modern script that I'm, I'm a big fan of. And I hope that I get to watch a Syracuse basketball game soon uh, too, so that I can actually like wear the, wear the, the, uh, the Jersey for, for a reason other than walking around my house. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The other interesting part is we might actually get. I, I wonder if if the uh, name, image, likeness uh, vote passes, which it seems like people are positive on, and it seems like it might be more aggressive than we even thought it would be. I wonder if having more unique jerseys to sell in terms of like players um, would spur on more innovation on jersey uh, models. Yes, please. Like, because like if the sudden this happens at Syracuse, you're going to have. Um, I mean, you're gonna have some old school jerseys, but then like the modern team, like let's throw out, you know, in a couple of years, you'll have Buddy Bayheim jerseys flying off. You'll have Joe Girard jerseys being sold to every child in, in upstate New York. Any, um, any child with a, uh, <laughs> with a goatee. <laughs> yeah. Any, 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 any goatee wearing 11 year old with like a decent jumper. <laughs> um, uh, DR Johnson will sell a million jerseys because he has like a fan base already beyond Syracuse. So like, if you have like all these marketable players, um, maybe, and obviously that spurs on, you want to sell more of those jerseys. So maybe we actually get like, you know, maybe we're actually wearing the stripped alternates more because then they can sell three different jerseys. You throw in an 03 throwback in a couple of years for the 20th anniversary. That's a fourth jersey, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like it just makes sense that um, having like individual jerseys to sell instead of just like the generic 44 football jersey or the generic one basketball jersey or whatever would um, create more of a market for the Nike to actually update these things. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, obviously like, you know, some of the name and likeness conversation, like as we use, you you and I grew up with like having like, you knew exactly whose jersey you were buying. Yeah, that was a recent thing is where they started cracking down on that. When I was in school, you could get um, like a one or a four or whatever, like, when Paulus, oh, yeah, I have a West football, Johnson. They I, sold I two jerseys. Yeah, I have a West Johnson jersey for sure. Um, I have um, 
And I, and I definitely have like a Devendorf, I guess it would be Jersey. Um, I mean, Manny's as up well. until like one of the last times I was at Manny's, they had, uh, I think it was after I was a student, but like a couple years later, they had like their Jersey rack and they just had the names of the players for their number and they had all the numbers. Obviously, Manny's manufactured those, not Nike, but like there was clearly a thing. Like, uh, and that was probably Odin's the rules. Hopefully, they change that so we don't get cracked down on. But, um, yeah, it just, it, hopefully, this, I mean, this should happen this summer. I know they, they're possibly pushing back to the immediate eligibility vote, which is another issue for Syracuse, uh, especially in basketball with Alan Griffin. Um, but, like, I think that would be big. Also, uh, NCAA football, again, I say it all the time, the second it comes out, which this would allow for, I think, um, I'm buying a console and I'm, locking myself in a room somewhere and never coming out. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of possible uh, good things for consumers uh, if that rule passes. So hopefully fingers crossed and obviously great for the players. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that as and much rule, as we focus on it. <laughs> the rules a lot more substantial than we, yeah, the rules a lot more substantial True. than we thought it would be too. The one, the proposal that we've read about. Yeah. I mean, who knows what actually happens? Um, Even if it's a step down um, from it, it's like it's more, way more than I thought we would get in the first the first run. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. I mean, maybe, I mean, it's not just you know you know player name and likeness advocates writing this either. Like, I, I, I I'm I'm optimistic. Let, let, let's leave it at that. Uh, I'm optimistic. Even if we get yeah some semblance of this, I think it's a it's a great step in the right direction. Yeah, and that's I mean, especially I think it might be because of the G League thing in part. Like that's such a shot across the bow that like the NCAA needs to bring something and, and like retain the value of, of being a college athlete. And like, I just, I'm as much as I think the G league thing is a good option for people. I don't think um, someone is going to be a Reno bighorn and have the same marketability as if they were a Syracuse orange or a Duke blue devil or a Michigan state Spartan, or like, I just think that retains so much. And if you can then on top of that, get a nice like stipend for, you know, doing some Fusillo ads or doing some like, you know, an appearance at possibilities or something like, even if you're not making as much money as a G league would offer, um, there's definitely something there. And there's more exposure. And we talked about this last week too, with the, you know, even if it was like an NCAA tournament video game um, and, and it didn't do seasons and it just did like, okay, throw a tournament together, see what happens. Um, it's something. Um, yeah. Also just wanted to pour one out for the Reno Bighorns. Um, Are they gone? They, they're the Stockton Kings now, sadly. Oh, that's so much worse. I know. I couldn't it's remember. Like, uh, that was the first FG League name that popped in my head. I, I couldn't. I should have <laughs> done the the domain red flags, which I know are still a thing. But like, yeah, I I, I do think that it does suck that the, the G League. And I understand why the G League's doing this because oh, unlike it's very smart. minor league baseball, yeah, yeah, unlike minor league baseball that had like a lot of teams pop up and then got them all folded in under um, baseball ownership, um, and that's why you're probably going to see a lot of teams disappear um, in the next like twelve months. Um, because they are kind of trying to get back on board with that setup. Um, basketball, you know, they tried like the, oh yeah, Charleston Logators and so other nonsense that they named the teams and they realized, oh, hey, like as much as it's great that these teams exist, um, they're still NBA subsidiaries and they should really uh, drive people into being like interested in the team. So like, you know, like out here, like, uh, you know, they had the LA Defenders for a long time um, and then that turned into like the South Bay Lakers um, and I've never been to a, t- a game for the South Bay Lakers, despite the fact that they uh, that they're right down the road from me here in South Bay, uh, part of Los Angeles County. But 
like it makes sense that they would be something um, like that, the Westchester, you know, Knicks and, and all this other stuff. Like it, it makes sense that these teams would be named, but I, I, I do kind of miss the, the like wacky names. And I hope everyone doesn't go like too hard into the, you know, full on like, you know, NBA branded teams. Cause I think what makes minor league basketball and, and minor league anything interesting for people is the fact that they have their own unique characteristics that are like um, that, 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 pay pay some sort of tribute to the local area yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that really works for minor league baseball is you have like such unique teams and like they are like obviously they're they're subsidiaries of other teams but they do differentiate themselves branding wise and have like a local flair and just a goofiness to them um so i legitimately had some of that fun it just didn't really catch on it didn't have like i really probably just ingrained in the local cultures because it just kind of popped up uh, as minor league baseball but um, I do hope that there, there is some, like, you know, some consistency in terms of um, being their own thing a little bit. And and obviously they're, they're you know, serving a nice purpose in terms of, like, the two-way contracts and the theater program thing. But I think they can still retain uh, their kind of goofy quality. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, anything else before we, uh, before we depart this week? No, looking forward to another week. Enjoyed the draft. Uh, enjoyed having some actual sport-adjacent event to write about. Um, so yeah, just kind of moving, moving along, hoping that, uh, I can get back to New York in a couple of weeks, which is my current plan mid May. So then I will have a microphone. So, uh, I will sound slightly better for everyone. Um, but yeah, everyone just continue to stay safe and everything. Uh, you know, things are going pretty well and hopefully people stay sane and continue to, uh, do the things that are necessary over the next couple of weeks. Agreed with that. Um, well, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Hope you, uh, continue to stay safe. Um, and hope you end up back in New York at some point very soon. Yes, thank you. And uh, everyone out there, hope you're staying safe as well. Hope everybody is, uh, if there are loosening of restrictions, hope everyone, um, you know, airs on the side of caution still um, as much as possible. I know I will be over here. Um, yep. But uh, this has been Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone. Um, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange.